Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between. This is Miles David, the host of Tuned Into Tennis, and we are back with another episode, a special episode. I think me and my guest today can agree that the vibes are here. And I actually contacted this guest because originally I was going to fly solo on this episode about the US Open and all the amazingness of it. But then I was like, I need better energy because I don't think my energy is bad. I just need better energy. And then I don't know if it was a combination of just seeing Ashley on my timeline or just knowing Ashley's energy because she's been supportive of tuned into tennis and I mean, way back since Clubhouse. So it was a mixture of those two. I reached out and she was like, okay, sure. When do you want to do it? And now we're here on Zencaster talking about tennis on tuned into tennis. And that leads me to interviewing, not interviewing, introducing my latest guest and first time on the podcast, Miss Ashley Woods, and you can tell the audience a little bit more, a little bit more about yourself. But I like to know you. Um, I don't think I've ever called you this over Twitter Spaces, but you are the HBIC of Alabama journalism in my mind. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I will try my best to have my energy be as high as possible. It has been a long day here in Tuscaloosa of classes and stuff. Um, but yeah, hey y'all, my name's Ashley, um, part-time journalist, full-time troll, occasional <laughs> student. Um, I am super excited to be here. Um, I attend the University of Alabama. It's my last year. Very excited. Amen. Um, uh, news media major, minor in political science, concentration in sports media. I am the editor-in-chief of the CW, the Crimson White, which is the student newspaper here. Um, I have to remind myself not to call it the CW because people think of like the network station and like colloquially down here, that's what we call it. Mm-hmm. And I have to catch myself. I'm like, mm, oh, wait, the CW, are they still with us as a, as a television station? I believe so. Okay. <laughs> but even still, like, you know, to the regular person that has never read the Crimson White, they're not going to mm. know what the CW is. Gotcha. But like, I walk around campus. I talk about the CW all the time. They're like, "Oh yeah, the newspaper." As you should, <laughs> you're the editor in chief. As you should. That's what you should be doing. Everybody should yeah. know you. Like I said, as the HPIC of <laughs> Alabama journalism. So, um, that's a great introduction. You aren't originally from Alabama, though, right? I am not. I am originally from Middletown, Delaware. How is life in Middletown, Delaware? For those that don't know, I'm, I don't know. I've never been to Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> um, life in Delaware is a very like quiet and kind of chill. Um, it's the second smallest state in the country. Um, there's a lot of nice beaches. There's a lot of you know places to go. Like you're near a lot of good things, like Philly, Baltimore, DC. Um, but Middletown, Delaware, it's a small suburban town. Um, like cookie cutter american suburbia <laughs> like if you if you took like a, a image of desperate housewives and put it in delaware 
that is Middletown, Delaware. Somebody was just telling me they started that uh, that series after avoiding it for so long, and they actually really enjoyed it. So that's funny you bring that up because maybe it'll give me something to go back and watch. Um, My mom was obsessed with it when I was younger, and so it was always just naturally on the TV. It's actually a really good show, but seven-year-old Ashley should have never been watching it alongside my mother, but... it was my mama's house, her room. Right, right. So. <laughs> and I shouldn't have been watching Law and Order SVU all those years. But where, what was I doing? Watching with my mother, watching Law and Order SVU. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now those are two shows we've mentioned that I'm going to have more time to watch because Grand Slam tennis season is over. The rest of the fall season is interesting, but typically not as interesting as January through September because there's not, you know, their imminent uh, arrival of a Grand Slam. So, uh I'll have I think we'll both have more time on our hands in in different ways. But yes. I was gonna segue into something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How far away is uh your city in Delaware from the US Open? And have you been before? Yes, I have been to the US Open, um, but it wasn't until last year. Middletown, Delaware is about two hours from Queens. Oh, okay, okay. Um, fun fact, my mom used to work for JP Morgan Chase, one of the big sponsors of the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. And she, if she had put in a request, could have gotten access to free tickets, um, during the U.S. Open. She never did it. Um, because she didn't know how I was going to act when I got up there. (laughs) That was her reasoning. And I was like, you mean to tell me I could have watched Rafael Nadal win in 2017? I could have watched Sloan win in 2017? That's crazy, mom. And she was like, I didn't know how you were gonna act, and I don't, and I don't like tennis. So, <laughs> I mean, you may have, you may have been a little bit more excited. No, I'm not gonna say that because I was gonna say you may have been a little bit more excited than Sloane Stevens was when she won. But I feel like <laughs> Sloane Stevens, Sloane Stevens has inner excitement. It's inner excitement. It doesn't always yes. translate to the outside. But she oh, was, true. she was excited to win that U.S. Open because you see that check that lady gave her. <laughs> listen, well, I, anytime I get a major payday, I'm oh, listen. Anytime I get a payday, I'm excited. The payday that Coco got, I would have been shouting all over off the Ash Stadium. Okay, listen, <laughs> and 19 year old energy with a three million dollar check gotta be some good energy. Like it just right. has to be. It has to be. Well, you you said it perfectly because as we speak now, we live in the land of. Coco Golf as a U.S. Open champion, which, man, I gotta say, that feels good, don't it? It feels amazing. I I was tailgating and I realized what time it was, and I had to escape the man the madness that is Alabama versus Texas tailgating. And I got back to my dorm, grabbed some snacks, and I saw that she was up in the second set. And I just remember I was like, Coco, just just consolidate the break. And it's, we'll go from there. We'll see what happens from there in that second set. And then the third set happened. I was like texting my friend, my dear friend, Gray Robertson back and forth. He's on his way to the stadium for Alabama, Texas, because he had a friend come down and we're just going back and forth, like freaking out and whatnot. (laughs) He was like, we were just like, oh my God, is it going to happen? And I just remember I got on the phone with my friend, Kevin, because I was like, I need emotional support. <laughs> I just need emotional support right now. And I had accidentally hung up the phone for match point. And when match point happened, I like just tears, tears Aww. just fell. I was just like, it was like watching a little sister, like, you know, just do her big one. And I was so glad because I went back outside, my makeup held. I know that's right. I know that's right. <laughs> I'm making hell through all the tears that I cried, but it was, I was just so excited. I literally screamed 
woke up whatever two people were in my dorm on my floor because <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> but it, truly, it's, it's, it's just a great feeling. Great vibes. She's the only U.S. Open singles champion in my eyes. The oh, no, no, nothing else happened after that day. <laughs> nothing else happened after that day. <laughs> Listen, you after that day, I was focused on the Eagles. So nothing else <laughs> happened that day. That day. <laughs> we know if, if you know if you know you know what shade we talking about. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll give uh, due respect to the other champions of the U.S. Open in a little bit. But for now, let's stay on Coco because. Um, I don't think I make it a secret, although I like try or I'm trying my best. Some might debate if I'm actually trying my best to be somewhat uh, impartial because I know like the more you grow in tennis, the more you your voice is used. People want to look at you as an impartial source. Oh, is, is it, am, I, am I even using the word right? Impartial or unbiased? Unbiased. Kind of synonyms of each other. Is there synonyms? You were yes. fine. <laughs> I, I try my best to be, but it's really hard when it comes to Coco Golf. Um, and I literally just happened to see, you know how like Instagram will tell you like throwbacks or something like that? Or maybe I was looking through my archives of something, but I remember posting on the day that she beat Venus in 2019. And I think I said something to the effect of that's a whole lot of grit for a 15 year old or something like that. And now fast forward. Literally four years, I can say the same thing, but that's a whole lot of grit for a 19-year-old to go through the U.S. Open the way that she did, defeating three Grand Slam champions in Caroline Wozniacki, Elena Ostapenko, and now current world number one, Arena Sabalenka, to lift her maiden Grand Slam major title in New York on home soil. Like, just saying all of that stuff out loud, for somebody like me who is... I mentioned this earlier in some YouTube content I did. I'm kind of one of those people that prepares for the worst and prays for the best in tennis, at least, because mm-hmm. um, a couple of my faves have 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 made me have that mindset. Uh, talking about you, Venus Williams um, <laughs> <laughs> and Serena to a certain extent. Um, just a lot of a lot of my faves because I like although I support them to the end on date on game day. I'm like you know I try to psych myself out right. I'm like if they don't win, it's not going to be the end of the world. And then when if they don't win, it becomes kind of the end of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was happy that I didn't have to deal with any of that after match point when Coco beat Sabalenka and it just felt like if you've seen my natural reaction, cause a lot of us were on uh playback.tv. If you're listening to this small plug, go to playback.tv slash tuned into tennis. And that's where we can actually watch matches in real time. Uh, you can jump on the stage with me, show your face or not, and have a live chat about the actual tennis and or other sports maybe i might venture into uh and talk about it live we're basically like our own commentators it's really cool but i was on that live with the regular tuned into tennis fam and something in me told me like when she got to third set when she got to i think it was like five two i think that was the score let's double check i think it was the score yeah Yes, when she got to 5-2, I put my phone on my tripod above this above this uh, uh, computer, or laptop, rather. And I was like, let's just just press record. Because, you know, she might not win this game. She may not. She she may. Who, who knows? But I was like, if I if she wins this, if she wins this game, she wins the match, she gets this moment. I want to, like, be able to look back on it. But I really didn't think that much, that much into it. I just kind of put my phone up there. And then match point, literally, you can hear it because my voice went up. Uh several octaves 
Just a couple. Just a couple. Just like somebody, somebody told me that I hit soprano and baritone all in like 60 <laughs> seconds. Um, and I didn't, I think somebody was like, Miles, I had no idea your voice got that high. And I was like, sometimes if I have, if I've had maybe too much to drink or if I'm, if I'm having something to drink and I'm having a lot of fun, sometimes my yelling gets a little high, but watching that video back, I was like, yeah, that's really high. Miles. like, we got to, that's emb- embarrassing. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Are you um, not embarrassed? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, in, I was embarrassed uh, <laughs> watching it back, but I was like, the moment was so genuine. Why not post it? Cause a lot of people probably felt that way, but all of that to say that the little mini monologue I went on, it just felt good. It's impactful. And part of the reason that I wanted you on the show, because you as a black woman watching another black girl have that kind of success, especially having to endure some of the very public naysayers that have had a lot to say over the past four years since her breaking onto the scene. I'm interested to know from your perspective, how that feels. Cause for me, it feels great. Like as a, a, very deep tennis connoisseur that feels great but as a tennis fan yourself and a black woman how does that feel to see her have that moment oh man i gotta figure out the words for that um (laughs) it's it's truly empowering i guess that's the Mm. word i'm gonna land on and empowering um i these are the types of moments that i'm always going to cheer for because as a black woman, we don't get much time in the sun and much chan- many chances to experience true, pure, unadulterated joy as Coco, her mama, her dad, all of her team felt in that moment when she uh, hit that winner and it was signed, sealed, and delivered that she was the 2023 U.S. Open Women's Singles Champion. Um, I... If, like I said, it felt like a little sister growing up and having her big moment, you know, from 2015 on, or sorry, 2019 on, I'm so sorry. Um, she just kept working, you know. It was, it's hard to be a pro at any level, but especially at 15, it's hard. It's You're going up against grown women that have been on the tour 10, 20 years that have crafted their game, developed their game are just naturally stronger than you because of where they are in life. It's just, Mm -hmm. it was hard. It's hard, you know? And after that run in Wimbledon, and then she had a little success at the 2019 U S open before running into Osaka. Um, and then being very publicly vulnerable after Mm -hmm. that loss, you know, she had some growing pains and, you know, of course she won a title, be Ostapenko at uh, Lens that year, I believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, she had, but after that, she still has some growing pains, you know, how to deal with managing being a tennis player through a pandemic, you know, how did, how did that uh, stump her development, you know, watching someone like Iga burst onto the scene and just completely dominate, you know, after you're like, you see everybody just follow her and you're constantly comparing to her, being compared to her, you're 0-7 against her, you, you know, your forehand's being constantly ostracized and nitpicked and everything. Um, so for her to finally have that moment in the sun to where like, hey, you're doing some good things, you're doing the right things, you're progressing along, that that's empowering because I don't think a lot of girls, a lot of black girls get that moment of like, hey, you know, those long hours, those hard days, those days where all you hear is just crap, 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 crap mm-hmm. everywhere. It's going to pay off in the end. And she has that moment on Saturday 
and it's truly empowering to see it. I hope it inspires other people to keep pushing. Um, and I just, I love the fact that everyone has wrapped their arms around her and stuff like that. But yeah, it's been a public, you know, sometimes, uh, I, I guess I can go to black Twitter. Sometimes black Twitter can have a very, uh, we knew it kind of attitude. And, and it's not always, it's not always positive. Sometimes like, you, like Tory Lanez, like Tory Lanez, for example, Ooh. everybody was like, we, roll with me here. Right. We all were pretty much like, we knew it. You, we knew you did that. And we knew that you were going to have this sour attitude about it, all that stuff. And it's very like, you know, People say it's bringing other people down and it's being hyper negative and all that stuff. But with Coco, because she's kept a pretty level head and like what she said, she's carried it with uh, grace and humility for most of her career in the spotlight at such a young age. It felt like validation that people that saw stuff in her or saw saw a star in her weren't just seeing things or making things up just because she happened to be a young black girl. Like we actually saw talent and for her to win on one of, if not the biggest stages in tennis, and for that to be the first of the major titles in her career, I, I can only imagine what like cloud she's walking on now, and how that must feel, and how much how much it may probably feed into her energy of like, yeah, like I had this big moment, I felt it coming all along, it's actually here. So <laughs> the rest of y'all better watch out. Like it, I. <laughs> it couldn't have worked out perfectly for her. I mean, you know, I was one of the people that was circling the French every single year, like, hey, maybe she can mm. do something, you know, and she's very good. Probably one of the best American movers on uh, on clay, male or female. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I had that circled. But for her to just, you know, have the energy and the backing of the hometown crowd, I mean, she can use that for inspiration for the Australian, the French, and Wimbledon now. Um, mm. I always say the first is the hardest. And, yeah. and Dominic Team is my my example. You know, oh. Oh, I miss him so much. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Pete Dominic Team so much. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tie something into Dominic Team in just a bit. Don't worry. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I it's always the hardest. Once you get over that hump, it's whether or not um, you can find that motivation to keep going, but getting there, getting over that hump is really hard because so many factors go into whether or not mm-hmm. you're holding that trophy after um, two weeks, besides you winning seven matches. So yeah. she over prime over prime competition that also wants to have that moment in the sun, you know? Yes. And, you know, not only that, just the pressure, you know, mm-hmm. of everyone watching you everybody rooting for you you know espn doing segments on you you know mm-hmm. you're bringing out all the stars like quinta you're bringing laverne out you're bringing uh who's been at her queen, queen, queen latifah, queen latifah uh, jimmy butler Le- leon from uh the five heartbeats oh he was there he was in. He was in the. He was in. Well, his name. His name is Leon. Cynthia Bailey's uh, uh baby daddy. Oh, I did not. See he was that. in the. You didn't. He was in the box like all week. Chad, the only people I care about <laughs> in that box are. I just be looking at Brad. Uh oh my God, I'm blanking on the other coach's name. BG uh, Pear Reba. Pear Reba. Reba. I be looking on. B, looking at BG Reba and her mama. <laughs> <laughs> And while mentioning those critical people, 
I think the moment where she, because I, I believe the first person she ran up and actually embraced after Match Point was her dad. Yes. And her dad, I don't, I mean, I personally haven't seen with my own two eyes so much negative press about the relationship between those two, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that I've avoided it or that it doesn't really exist that much. But there has been some talk about where his positioning is in the box um, and how it affects her. And the fact that he was basically in the suite trying his best to be mellow and then have all that emotion kind of come out um, when he finally saw his daughter and like, you know, the cameras caught all of that. That was emotional for me. That was probably when I felt like the most emotion, even after Match Point. And then immediately, like the first cut after uh, they went to commercial was that Rolex commercial that they felt like they had had in their back pocket all, all weekend mm-hmm. um, or all tournament to, mm-hmm. to, uh, to celebrate with Coco. And I was like, wow, like, I mean, I know she's 19. I know it's, it should be just the beginning on paper, but it kind of felt like she made it, you know? And watching watching the ebbs and flows of her career, watching first round losses and grand slams and going to Twitter and people being like, you know, she's she's cooked. That forehand is so wonky. She's overhyped. All of that stuff. It just made all of that moment be like, hmm, now look, now look who's at the top of women's tennis and three in the world and amongst the other other four women like Swiatek, Sabalenka, and Rabakana who have won slams in the past 12 to 16 months. Like, yes, my name is in that company and the work I've done in the past couple of months have put me in that position, even off the heels of losing first round of Wimbledon. Like all, that whole story, saying it out loud, loud right now is uh, quite a moment. And I'm not sure if it'll resonate with me as deeply, even as it does now, than it will moving forward, like when I can watch all the things back on YouTube and stuff like that and people make content about it and I can tell people that don't really know about tennis now how important Coco Golf summer of 2023 was, you know? Yes. I, it feels good. It feels good. It, it was great. I remember I hadn't followed much of the beginning part of the North American hardcore swing because I was mm-hmm. wrapping up my internship right around that time. But I remember talking to, once again, my dear friend, Gray Robertson. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was like, it, this was after, I think this was after uh, Western and Southern. I was like, we were like, I, he was, he was full blown. He was like, signs to deliver. It's hers. Like he was like, I'm, I'm buying in. And I was like, I really want to buy in. I'm so scared. But I, I like we had a conversation. I was like, you know what? I'm buying in. <laughs> I'm buying into the summer cocoa. And like that was like the first time I had actually sat down to like watch like any like American North American hardcore sweet tennis. So I didn't know how she was in DC. I just know that she won DC and she made it to the semis, I believe. Of- of, uh, of the Canadian I think it was the quarters because Pagula went on to beat Swiatek too. I think so. Yeah, a quarter. I knew that she. Made, I, I knew that she had made deep in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't yeah. know where she stopped because um, it was like right around my time of my internship ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched the entire Western and Southern Open, and I was just like, me and him were talking. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to buy in. And we <laughs> we're, we're, we both were like we bought stock. We, we bought, bought stock. stock. We're like number one in Coca. Number one in New York uh, campaign starts now. Um, I you said you didn't watch most of the summer series, and I just had a flashback to <laughs> what made me literally. Well, I didn't stand up, but literally kind of sit up in my chair. Um, and this is this is this kind of has to relate to Serena, which you know we've seen the graphics and the headlines how much this moment is being compared to Serena's moment back in 1999 of her winning when she was a teenager. <laughs> um, and 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 
to the credit of black women in general, how Coco's name is now um, in the list of U.S. Open champions that are American black women like Venus, Serena, and Sloan, right? And obviously a good shout out to Naomi Osaka, who is a black woman, just plays under the flag of of Japan, who's a two-time U.S. Open Open champion Mm -hmm. and about to start her comeback. But I say all of that to segue into this. Coco was playing Belinda Benchich in D.C., mm-hmm. and I was, like, kind of halfway following the match. Um, and if you know my history of Belinda Benchich, then you you know. Um, <laughs> I don't like her it's either. Not, it's not personal. It's not personal, but she does have me blocked on Twitter. Um, mm, okay. <laughs> she had, uh, I want to say she had three break points. And Coco was already up a set, and she had three break points at maybe like 3-2 or something to consolidate in the second set. Mm -hmm. This may be a little fuzzy. Mama hit back-to-back aces, and after those back-to-back aces, she hit a serve plus one, and it was probably the strongest serve plus one I had seen from her in a little bit of minute, or just since I had watched. And I said, hold up now. (laughs) I said, oh. I said, oh. (laughs) This is Mm. what we're doing. Mm. And I I, I I mean, I try my best not to just link Venus and Serena to Coco just mm-hmm. because, but it really, it felt like that. You know, you know, when Serena was like, God damn it, I didn't got myself down in this game. Mm-hmm. And I really try to close this match out. I'm not trying to go three sets. Let me just hit a couple aces and just yes. you know, rattle her a little bit. It felt like that. And yeah. she, she responded, she responded feverishly to it. Even Ventures was like, no, when did this start to happen? <laughs> <laughs> now we start doing this. <laughs> we just start doing this. <laughs> I know your serve is good, but like we ain't never start being clutch like this, like this. In that moment, I didn't necessarily go straight to U.S. Open champion, but I was like, oh, we're cooking with something right now. We're cooking because there was a different kind of energy. And to see her go from that week to Montreal to Cincinnati lifting that trophy to lifting this trophy now. I mean, yeah, we've we we've we've uh, we've tapped into something with young Coco Golf. And (laughs) I'm excited to see I'm excited to see where it goes from here on out because she's just 19 Mm -hmm. and. You know, I, I fully expect there to be ebbs and flows of her game because mm-hmm. the greatest in the world had ebbs and flows to their game. It wasn't always a shooting star to the top and they just stayed there the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited for the journey. I really, really am. And I didn't know, I've said this on previous episodes, if you're listening to this and haven't heard my thoughts about this particular uh, subject, I wasn't sure um, in 2019, 2020, watching Serena kind of almost be there as, as far as like, you know, getting that number that will not go named right now um and 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 venus uh looking like you know more time has been behind her than in front of her i wasn't sure how connected i'd be to tennis i knew i'd watch because i've I've been watching this long i wasn't just gonna like stop cold turkey but i didn't foresee myself being a kind of person that stood up in their in their chair and like really fist pumped like i was there at the match Mm -hmm. and coco has has done that for me um two three times over this summer so yeah i'm appreciative to that and yeah uh, vibes celebration and vibes that might be the name of this podcast episode <laughs> celebration and vibes there's probably never going to be a video attached to this but i'm just doing this <laughs> we can see each other we can see each other but we're not we're not putting this video nowhere <laughs> yes yeah, okay. my bed ain't made so <laughs> <laughs> and my zipper's a little low so we can see all this chest um <laughs> Okay, I feel like we've given Coco her flowers. Insert a uh, meme of Wendy Williams saying, here, here are your flowers. Um... 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about other things that happened at the U.S. Open, primarily over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's mm-hmm. get it out of the way. We're gonna we're gonna spend how much? We're gonna spend like maybe four minutes or less, or try to. Okay. Um, we're just gonna we're just gonna announce to the listeners that probably already know, and if you don't know, uh, Novak Djokovic is the champion of the 2023 U.S. Open. He beat Daniil Medvedev in three straight sets in a very long three setter, but three sets nonetheless, and that win gave him. 24 major titles and which is the most in the open era and tied for most all time with Margaret Court. So he uh, celebrated a little bit of history and his achievement there. And uh, I'm sure people feel great for him. If you're a fan, (laughs) I, I think I'm, I think I can say this with Ashley as well in mind that we are um, a bit indifferent is indifferent. A good way to put it. I freaking hate it. I hate this. I am not indifferent. I am just uh, well. I told you I'm trying to be um trying to be unbiased, but it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. I'm not a tennis journalist. I can be as uh, I can be as biased as I want. I neither am I either. But the people on Twitter, every time I say something they don't agree with, they're like, "Oh, you want to be a tennis journalist?" I'm like, "Well, I haven't actually said that, but thank you for putting that into my future." Sure, <laughs> right? Thank you, thank you for that. that. Thank you, but and but if, if that means that we always have to agree, then you're probably not going to be a fan of my writing or my commentary in the first place. So hey, no, I I expressed this in a group chat last night. Um, that may have drawn some ire from some people, but they'll be okay. They'll be okay. They'll be all right. <laughs> um, I, I, it feels so wrong. Like, like if you're a fan of him, well, congrats. I'm so happy that you have this moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. but I, as I expressed, as a black woman who had to watch Serena basically crumble to an extent, under the pressure of trying to get to 24 and constantly having her legacy attached, question mm-hmm. and attached to the fact of, like, is she going to get to 24 and can she really be considered the GOAT despite having all of these other accolades, all this other impact on the sport, and women, not just women's tennis, but tennis in general, mm-hmm. um, but just be attached to that singular number and for the media to just be like, oh, well, Djokovic got to 24, Let's move on. <laughs> and it, it, it'd be like a ticker. It'd be a ticker. Like they make a they make a small package about it. He puts on a shirt that says twenty four as an ode to his relationship with with uh, uh, now dearly departed Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't. I'm I'm sure that our feelings are clouded because we are not fans of his. But it doesn't feel like it moves tennis forward in much of a way that. I assume would have felt if Serena had gotten to 24 or surpassed 24. Granted, you and I can uh, agree that she's still the better, the one of the best. She's she's the best woman to pick up a tennis racket and, and achieve the things that she's achieved. And I think it's arguable that she's one of the best tennis players, period, in the history of tennis. Um, but I, Djokovic 
<laughs> How do I say this? To me, to me personally, it's it's not even the fact that like oh it doesn't move the needle or it's going to be a little ticker card that runs at the bottom of the ESPN channels or ABC. Mm-hmm. It's the mere fact that whether he got into twenty four or stayed at twenty two, twenty three, his legacy would have never been questioned. Like mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. impact would have never been questioned on the sport. You know, he's still going to be considered to a loud majority minority, whatever you want to call it. The greatest ten- male tennis player to pick up a racket. Um, his legacy would have never been questioned. And that's what I expressed last night is like, I had to watch like, so, like I had to watch Serena just fight and fight and fight and get so very close, but no cigar. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for Djokovic, it was like, after Wimbledon 2018, it was just like he was like Sherman during the Civil War and just marched on his <laughs> way to 24. And it was like it, it just there's, it, it, there's there's not a feeling of again this is personal. I, I, I should stop saying that because it is it is what it is, right? This is our personal opinion. There there's there's not a feeling of struggle and gain when it comes to Novak Djokovic like yes I'm aware that he is not like a very uh he builds his point so there's a struggle kind of built into that because he doesn't just kind of hit one serve hit a forehand the point's over with he's a little bit more arduous in how he how he makes his points he uses flexibility and defense and, and counter punching and all that stuff but it doesn't feel like I've watched him uh strive toward this goal it kind of just happened and yes there's some people that will push back and say that well he had to go through rafa and roger yes that is true he has he definitely had some mountains some mountains to climb to catch up with them and to beat them in important matches but i i can't shake the feeling that it just does not feel impactful for somebody that literally has won as much as he has and can literally be on the face of any kind of magazine it doesn't make me want to pick up the magazine and garner interest into what his story has been like to get to 24 and i think some of the reason i'll land my plane on this some of the reason is because what we've best we've been inundated with about his personal beliefs how he operates in life over the past couple of years since started since the started since the start of the decade and it's been unsettling to see somebody that has so much access and um privilege and power in the world be in a position where he's been in the past couple of years to kind of have his to just have his have his platform be a voice to people and choose the the more ignorant um self-centered way um his choice but i can there's there's two ways of looking at that and i'm obviously i'm referring to his whole stance and doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on not getting a vaccine right and what that meant for people that looked at him as a symbol of anti-vax, because that's really what that became. It's hard to get behind that, knowing what we've been through as a country in the pandemic and just knowing how people have been affected. And still by are that. affected. And still and still are. It's hard to to have your to have him lift that trophy and real and feel real genuine joy. That's what I say. But but I, at the end of the day, as a, as a tennis fan, I can say that that's really quite an accomplishment to win 24 slams. Because if you would have told me when I first started watching tennis that anybody would have 20 slams, I would have la- most people would have laughed at you because that sounds like a very unachievable number. So to, for him to have, you know, 24 is, um, you know, a testament to how good his tennis is. But it's not been a very... Uh, 
I'm going to make this word up. It's not been a very root forable journey. It's kind of just been like, oh, Djokovic is achieving this and golf claps. <laughs> I'm only in my plane on this. Rafa still has more gold medals than him. So <laughs> <laughs> call me a hater. Did you, call me did whatever. You, did you did you see the news? I, I haven't verified this, but it just came across the timeline that he, he expects to play in the Olympics in 2028 in L.A. Right, he'll be forty-two or forty-three, I believe. Like, homie told us last. Homie told us when he had that whole press conference, uh, like that with his old hip. You know, it was the hip. I think it was the hip. You know, we never know what. Wait, hip. I'm talking about Djokovic, not oh, the doll. Oh, Djokovic. Oh, Djokovic said he wants to play the 2028 Olympics in LA, not the doll. Mm, okay. <laughs> see how your mood changed. <laughs> mm. I, we'll see. We'll see. The, the other layer to that, um, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Did, did you have anything more you wanted to add before I kind of? I landed my plane. Rafa has more gold medals. The other thing that I wanted to say before I, we get into some other people who had great U.S. Opens, and especially towards the latter in in the uh, the final weekend. Um, He's now won three slams this season. In the slams he's won, he hadn't dropped a set in the final and was relatively not pushed up until that final. And I've seen some people say, like, you know, that's boring to watch results that you kind of already know of what's going to happen because it just sucks the it sucks the life out of sports. Like, you, this is what you 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 pull up to arenas to see people compete, not knowing what could happen. So if you already have this ninety eight point nine percent feeling of what's going to happen it's like what am i here for like am i just here for the for the beer and vibes into into like flex my sunshades mm-hmm. maybe um there's but, this wonderful term in alabama athletics and it's called joyless murder ball and every time i see djokovic take on take the court and compete that's immediately what i think of it's it's called joyous what joyless murder ball Joy- joyless murder as in it's going to be joyless for the opponent because it's just going to be Mm. absolutely cerebral tennis that's going to happen on the court and it's it's going to be too overwhelming it's it's the way that Djokovic is kind of operating I can liken it to like you know the Patriots and the oh that's a good one the the Alabama football in the 2010s up until 2020 the dynasty of it all you know you when you see them go onto the field, when you see Djokovic go on the court, it's like a it's like a greater than ninety nine percent chance that he's going <laughs> to win that match. I mean, and it's it's no slight to his opponents. It's just you know, well, might that's where I slightly disagree. It might it bit. might be it might be a little slight, but you know I'm gonna mm. behave for once in my life. Uh, <laughs> um, it's just that, like, that's what's come to ha- like to be expected because that's just what ha- has happened since you know Cecchinato decided to revive his career at the French Open, and, <laughs> and then Nadal furthered it even more at the French at the U.S. at the Wimbledon in 2018. That's what happened. Well, check- that's where that's where like the second half, this like mm-hmm. uh, nitro boost, mm-hmm. uh, has happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget mm-hmm. Nadal for that. Never forgive him, but I love him though. Uh, <laughs> and that was a good kid he had on too. That was a good twenty eighteen Wimbledon kid. Winning. Yeah, that was a good kid. The racket, the racket looked good. The white looked good. That was, that was a good. Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of, I kind of don't. I mean, I forgive. I don't. Well, I don't forgive Roger. I just understand how he slipped up in that moment because uh, if it wasn't for that pesky uh, tape 
in the serve he hit down the tee. Who knows how that might have changed the trajectory of Djokovic's career, but that 2019 Wimbledon final, who knows knows how it may have inspired him or kind of, you know, showed his mortality to his face, and that would have impacted how long he was going to play. But if, if Federer wins that, who knows how that affects Djokovic. But my point in saying that is, what are... If the rest of the ATP guys could like huddle up in this moment, it's, let's let's take Sitsipas, Rude, and Medvedev as like the treasurer, uh, uh, co-president, and president of the boys that need to be Djokovic club, right? How do you? What do you tell yourself if all three of you are twenty six, twenty seven, and below, and can't take a set off of a 36, 37 year old man in a Grand Slam final? And you've and all of them before this season had been to Slam Finals before. It wasn't like they were fresh into uncharted territory. Casper Ruud before this French Open had been to two Grand Slam Finals. Uh, Sissipas had been to a Grand Slam Final before this Australian. <laughs> and Medvedev is now one and four in Grand Slam Finals after this U.S. Open because mm-hmm. he has two Australian Open losses and now two U.S. Open losses. Mm-hmm. So. What, what, how do you rally up the troops to to fix this Djokovic problem? And how do you find inspiration? Like, is, is Carlos Alcaraz the only inspiration that we have of, like, what a post-Novak Djokovic ATP tour looks like? For And, and I want to separate Medvedev before I unpack the other two. For Medvedev, he does not need to see Novak Djokovic or Rafael Nadal in a, a Grand, Grand Slam major final ever again. <laughs> ever again. Like, it's an issue, yeah. It, it's yeah. an issue. Like, honestly, after the 2022 Australian Open final, I would have yeah. retired. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I mean, I mean that was a great match, and I'm, I'm glad Nadal had one more Australian Open run and title in him. Yeah. But the hardcore slams... I'm, as much as it's great of a career he's had, he's, he has his U.S. Open in 2021. He has the world number one ranking and a whole bunch of other titles. I wonder how he feels about being a somewhat of a stepping stool to even more greatness for two out of the big three. You know? Yes. I, I Listen, like I said, after the 2022 Australian Open, I would have retired. <laughs> <laughs> like, Arena Sabalenka, that whole racket smashing video, but times, like 20. We got to talk about that, too, because we didn't get, we haven't talked about Sabalenka. We, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I just, we'll, we'll stay with the men. I just don't. We'll stay with the men for now. But... Who do we, who do we look to? Who do we? What is what is, what does that say about the rest of the field that he can do that um, and and barely look like I mean granted that's a testament to him but what does it also say about the rest of the field are they that enamored with his success are they that I, in awe I don't think it's I don't think they're enamored I don't think they're in awe I just don't think they have the game mm. um, it's you know. Something that I have noticed outside of, you know, Alcaraz, I'm going to throw center in there, although he still has to become more of a complete player. He still has a little Mm -hmm. ways to go. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of them have really good, you know, serve plus ones. But I I pointed it out after the Ben Shelton match, Ben Shelton versus Novak Djokovic match. A lot of the issues with these players when it comes to the big three or big two now, because one of them's Mm -hmm. retired and one of them's knocking on the door of retirement. it's point construction. You know, after mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that first ball after serve, they don't know what to do because the thing is that mo- nine times out of ten, Novak's going to get that ball back. 
Um, yeah, he's a great returner. He's going to yeah. get that ball back. And so you have to figure out ways to, you know, crack his defense and his counterpunching. Um, and pick and Medvedev your... surely ain't cracking it because mm. the, counter... the five minutes or so that I watched of that match, because I didn't, there was no need for me to watch it, even though Medvedev has shown that he can beat mm. Novak Djokovic on that court. It just did not feel like it was something to watch until we had gotten into a position where Medvedev may have been up two sets to love or two sets to one or something like that. But until then, I was like, why do I need to watch this when I know this man's going to win, right? Hey guys, if you're enjoying today's episode, please take a look at the episode description, support the growth of the show by grabbing a coffee from the link, and while you're at it, be sure to engage with Tuned Into Tennis on social networks. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook is where you can find us. Leave a review if you like what you're listening to so far, and let's get back to the show. And then to see, then I actually put my eyes on the match and see Medvedev in Timbuktu, behind the baseline it's like have you seen you know you you watched you watched uh flavor of love like the very first episode or the very first episode that new york was on in season two when she lined those girls up get your ass closer to the baseline that's what i want to tell medvedev you're t- i'm not i don't think he's the most powerful person in the world sorry for cursing but you know this is this is what i do um why are we in Timbuktu playing against Djokovic? Djokovic has pace, he has placement, all that stuff, but so do you. Why are you relishing being in Zimbabwe when Djokovic is on, he's in Morocco? Those are two different parts of Africa. Very different parts of Africa. Very different parts. My thing, my thing is, is that I was talking about this. Was it, was it Gray or was it the other tennis group chat I was in? I think it was both, but it, the problem is, is that people think that they're Rafael Nadal, and what makes Rafael Nadal so good at being all the way in <laughs> Zimbabwe when Djokovic <laughs> is in Morocco is that he knows how to move up laterally and get mm-hmm. back that court positioning that he gave up with that return position. He's perfected that craft over the years and even bettered it when Carlos Moya joined the box in 2017. Mm -hmm. He's able to do that because his movement is so well. The rest of the people, their movement is not not of... Rafael Nadal caliber, like the food, like they can't. Nadal in his prime, yeah. Nadal in his prime. I mean, like now, <laughs> we don't know. The jury's still out, but you know, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it looks like it might be a little shaky. <laughs> I mean, but still, even shaking Nadal is still better moving around the court. <laughs> True, because didn't he didn't he win twenty twenty two Roland Garros with like a unstable and injected foot? So yes, yeah. beat uh, beat everybody <laughs> with a sleek foot, <laughs> and almost beat Taylor Fritz with a beat Taylor Fritz with a jacked up abdomen. <laughs> we haven't put Taylor Fritz in this level of because he hasn't actually reached the Grand Slam final, but yeah. his performance in that quarterfinal was also like, I mean, you know, I'm just it's, happy to be here. It's, I think it's really point construction. I think the men really struggle with the point construction aspect of, you yeah. know, going against Novak Djokovic. I think a lot of the times they see that type of player that do, does like really big serve plus ones. They're not facing a lot of counter punches because they're not that many on the. I, for me, there, to me, it doesn't seem like there's that many counter punchers on the men's side as they are on the women's side. Mm. Um, they see yeah. a lot of the players that have big serves, big forehands. That's what you typically hear anytime a men's match is on. Yeah, this guy got a big serve and a big forehand. Okay, <laughs> what, what else? What else they got? Can they play at the net? <laughs> they got a big serve and a big forehand. What else they got? Like it's like yeah. you got size seventeen back there. Be not like, <laughs> like and it's like 
what, what else? What are the what are the layers that can actually help you in your quest to stop the Novak Djokovic train? Because now that we're at the end of 2023, and he's won three of the four majors, got to the final of the other one, he didn't win. We start back up again in 2024 at a place he's won 10 times. So it's like, where do we where do we stop? Like, where does it where does it end? Where does somebody step up and make men's tennis more competitive? I don't know. We summon 2019 Rafael Nadal. We just we all come together. We bring our hands together. We summon. I'll go even back even further. We summon 2013 Nadal and be like Kumbaya and just come together. It's like we need. We need. Oh, I was about to say something that I didn't even actually think was going to drop into my mind. And I don't even actually think, I don't believe this all the way, but I do know that he has a victory or cup or two over Novak Djokovic. But two names popped up in my mind. I thought of Yuri Vesely, because for whatever reason, he has a winning head-to-head over Novak Djokovic. Mm -hmm. And I thought about, uh, I'm trying to think of a non-shady way to introduce this man's name. I'm just going to say his name, and you can do it. Do what you will with it. Nick Kyrgios. Boo! <laughs> Boo! <laughs> we know, but but I, but but take away all the other things, or take away all the list of things that make you boo Nick Kyrgios. If he had, if he had, if he had his head on straight, right? Mm. If he had his head on straight and was a consistent top ten player, wouldn't you see the the things that he presents to the court that would trouble Novak Djokovic? He does have a like in his defense. You in know, theory. In theory. <laughs> um, while he does have a really big serve and a really consistent and strong forehand, he has a lot more of the other stuff, you know. Yes. Uh, yes he's yes, 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 yes. comfortable at the net. And, you know, he can handle being in longer points. Um, and I think a lot of that, well, I'm sorry, y'all didn't see my face, and I was like, "Does he?" Well, well we we ain't gonna push it. Like once it gets past, once it gets past like seven balls, it's a little sketchy. But like, we're looking at some of these other girls. Like, it seemed like three balls in, they're like, "Oh my god, I'm tired. My knees hurt." And even even if they're three balls in, I I don't know. If, you probably didn't watch this match because it didn't read or jump off the paper. But mm-hmm. Rublev versus Medvedev, they almost kind of have that mentality of just linear ball ground stroking against yeah. Djokovic, and I'm like that just that feeds into him and the more you do that the more that basically just puts a battery in his I, back because he can do that all day i know? will say that nick curios when he does get into a longer rally he will find more angles on the court a way um, to break it open a way, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. a way for him to break it open so he can get that like forehand down the line or forehand cross court mm-hmm. um it's a matter Ooh, I, did not of, think, I did not think I was going to log on today and give uh, Nick Kyrgios some flowers, but here we are. I mean, here's the thing. I have always said that Nick Kyrgios is a good tennis player. Like he, Yes, 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 yes. He's yes, a yes, very yes. good tennis player. He just, he get on my nerves, dog. He just get on my nerves. I'll be like, mm-hmm. I'll be like, dog. He'd be, he be having too much time on his hands between PlayStation, Twitter, and like, allegations of allegations of inappropriate conduct. I mean, yeah, you, know. you know, just, you know, typical, just in, a little bit. typical <laughs> incel behavior. I'm like, dog, if you were not an incel, you could have five grand slams right now. I don't. I, it just be, it made me so bad because I'm like, I want to shake you, dog. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know if I would like you if you had, but you at least have five grand slams. I don't know if I like you though. <laughs> okay, now I'll transition mm-hmm. now based off something you said that made me think about it because there's somebody that could have had at least four grand slams this year that didn't, but I don't think of them anywhere near the same way I think of 
uh, Nick Kyrgios, and I'm talking about Arena Sabalenka. I said I wanted to circle back around to that video that is kind of going viral of her uh, smashing her racket mm-hmm. post-U.S. Open final mm-hmm. loss to mm-hmm. um, Coco Golf. There's a couple of points, one way or the other, where she gets to the final of Roland Garros and Wimbledon this year, in addition to winning that Australian Open. Those losses to Muhova at the French Open semi and the losses to Anjabour at the Wimbledon semi were on her racket, as was in a way, this U.S. Open final against Coco. Mm-hmm. But I think she leaves 2023 Grand Slam season because it's not all the way done. Mm-hmm. If, if Going like to tie Nick Kyrgios to it. If Nick Kyrgios had a season like that, he'd be coasting off it and being, based on what we know, he'd be coasting off it and be like, look, guys, look what I just did. I didn't even play that much tennis and I got to the semis of all the slams are better, right? With Sabalenka, because she had a documented issue at Grand Slams compared to the rest of her performance on the WTA Tour, like Mm -hmm. 500s and 1,000s were not a problem for her in the last couple of seasons. But in 2021 going forward, she's really up the ante at her performance in Grand Slams. Mm -hmm. And now, now that she can look at all of what she's done in 2023, now a number one in the world for the first time in her career, I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that we're going to get a Grand Slam Sabalenka that even if she comes in with uh, 1,000 under her belt or not, she should have some kind of reserves to know that this is going to be on my racket and I can get to the final or or win this tournament based off of what I just did this last season. Mm -hmm. You know, off the heels of a 2022 where she had 17 double faults each match. So all of that combined gives me confidence that... Mm -hmm. Sabalenka might even be more of an issue in 2024. Mm-hmm. You know, do you, do you feel that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel that way. Um, I'm going to start. We're going to go through the video and then what I think 2024 is going to look for. Listen, if you're mad at the video, touch grass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, she, who's a, she is a human being who mm-hmm. was at the peak of her game and felt that she had the racket, the match on her racket. And quite frankly, I don't understand why she shouldn't feel that way because she was the yeah. better. Per- she was the better tennis player throughout the tournament. If you just look at what like mm-hmm. Coco and what Sabalenka did throughout the t- mm-hmm. the tournament, you like Sabalenka looked like she was going to steamroll, and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. she, it was it was just be, it it was just a courtesy that Coco was there. Like I don't want to negate <laughs> what Coco did, but like if you saw how Sabalenka performed throughout the U.S. Open, you were like. The total body of work, yeah. yeah. Besides that, besides that tight semifinal, if you take away that tight semifinal against Madison Keys, who we'll give a little love to, yes. uh, at, at the end, um, if you take that away, she <laughs> looked like the champion, right? Right. So and, I get what you mean. And even with that tight semifinal with Madison, you kind of never really felt like Sabalenka was going to lose. In my opinion, I didn't feel like it, but maybe is that because you know Madison Keys, or it's because you know Sabalenka? Which one is it? A little bit of both. I I, <laughs> I knew eventually it was going to be hard for Keys to kind of handle Sabalenka's power. I knew that Sabalenka was going to up the MPHs, and Keys were just going to it, it 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 was just going to crumble. And you know, it's not even a slight or harm mental game. It was just the fact that like, you know, well, part of it's a slight, <laughs> but like, well, but also it's like like Madison can't keep but like there are very few people that can keep up when Sabs is cracking the ball and. Mm-hmm. Or cracking rackets. Cracking rackets too. So, yeah. I don't. I, I don't think. I, my thing, the, and leading into you know Sablink is twenty twenty four. I listen. 
I think she could be tussling with Iga and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they can go back and forth. They may see each other in some finals or, you know, I mean, they're high enough. They're probably they're not going to see each other to at least the semis. Because we, we haven't seen a Grand Slam final with them yet. No. How that, would, how that pressure and moment would look like, you know? So I, I'm interested to see how, you know, she handles the, first the title defense of, you know, the Australian Open and then what she does mm-hmm. after that. Luckily for her, she kind of, it's not like an ego situation where she has like a crap ton of points to defend right at the middle. Like she has points mm-hmm. sprinkled in here and there that she has to defend and are varying amounts. So she can kind of mm-hmm. ease her way into the season and really mm-hmm. find form. But I honestly don't have any inclination of like her easing in. I think she's going to go. I think she's going to hit the ground running. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, she's going to win every tournament, but I think she has a shot to be in. Speaking of hitting the ground running, do you think before her racket hit hit the ground in that viral video <laughs> now, do you think she was maybe coerced, coached, encouraged to have that moment because it was probably some Netflix or Netflix-adjacent cameras rolling? Because in the wide shot that I've seen, you can clearly see like a camera with one of those big, large microphones that have the little fuzzy things on it that pick up every single sound. Mm-hmm. You could see that off in the distance. And we've seen Sabalenka give a racket even more of a tussle than that. So do you think like that moment was just to kind of one, let her frustration go and two, kind of like help the narrative along of frustrated player gets on the precipice of world number one ranking and another Grand Slam title. This is how they share their frustration. That's what it kind of felt once I saw that wide view. Instead of just Sabalenka genuinely, you know, letting go of her frustration in that locker room or preparedness room before they go out, you know? I think she was going to smash that racket whether there were cameras there or not. I don't think she needed, okay. I don't think she needed much coercion. If she needed a little bit, it was just like... Girl, we need you to do this for Netflix. And she was probably, she was already probably like, I'm finna. Bet. All right, bet. And she was probably, she was probably thinking she was gonna be like, bad daddies. <laughs> Take out three. I miss him. I miss him randomly. <laughs> you just made me think about his tennis and the, that, that racket, uh, racket smashing, multiple racket smashing moment he had. That, um, that is like my favorite tennis moment of all time. <laughs> like, the way he like, the way he put it up to the crowd, like, you want more? You want more? <laughs> like, yes, and yes, it's yes, just yes. staring in the background going like, <laughs> Sipping, like, ooh, he's mad. He's mad. <laughs> they ain't know what to do. <laughs> uh, well, we touched a little bit on Madison Keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, great tournament, but I'm not sure if anything changes about the trajectory of how I see her career after that. So mm-hmm. all I got, all I really have is uh, congrats, and I hope that she's able to process the way that loss went mm-hmm. in a healthy way. And we hope to see her, you know, in more semifinals of majors, and hopefully mm-hmm. take that in stride and, and maybe get her one day in, in the sun. I'm not 100 percent certain of calling that, but it'd be it would be nice. It would be nice. You know? It would be nice. It'd be nice. You know. Uh, I was talking and it was just like, man, I want her to get that one day in the sun, but I just don't know what, what it's going to look looks like. like. Yeah, I, yeah. And what that looks like, you know, if it's clay, if it's hard, if it's grass, if she somehow figures that cracks the code of grass, you know, I, I really hope that she, she takes the moment and, you know, that little bit of like vulnerability that she showed during her press conference and she kind of bottles that emotion and explains it and, you know, really uses that as inspiration to maybe yeah. kind of lock in and, you know, snag a tournament here and there. You know, Caroline Wozniak can do it. Madison can do it. <laughs> we'll see. But it is getting 
tight up at the top of women's tennis Woo. just by just by numbers and looks of it because when was the last time i put this on twitter when was the last time all four top four of the wta had a slam either in the current season or in the last season just 12 16 months ago like Sabalenka, Swiatek, Coco, and Rabakana, all slam champions now and all relatively fresh slam champions. You know, the oldest is Rabakana's 2022 Wimbledon. And she got to a final of another one this year at Australia. So, you know, it's not like her form is just far and away from the rest of the girls. So, uh, yeah, we'll see with Madison Keys. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Somebody I'm more inclined to believe will have obviously more opportunities because they're younger and they're fresher and I like their mentality just a little bit more because it just feels fearless at the moment is Ben Shelton mm-hmm. who, oh, we haven't even talked about the phone and dialing in and how we felt about that because uh, uh, if you haven't been aware, there was a little bit of controversy in the semifinal between Novak Djokovic and Ben Shelton at the very end of it, because Djokovic, according to him, just loved Ben Shelton's celebration so much and decided to steal it. Take from that what you will. Mm, but mm-hmm, Ben mm-hmm. Ben had been putting an imaginary, like, you know, how you, how you form a, a cell phone in your hand, putting it to his ear as if he was dialed in at this U.S. Open, as he should have been because he got a big win over Francis Tiafo to your boy Dominic team he played a good first set against Dominic team but Dominic team unfortunately fell ill and had to would retire from that match but all of those steps in succession got him to that semifinal and a good win over Tommy Paul in the fourth round which was good to see I do you believe in the Shelton hype I've been on, you know, I'm a college tennis proponent. Yes, yes, yes. I am a college tennis proponent. I've been following him since his days at the University of Florida. Shout out to all of my Gator friends out there. I'm not going to do the Gator chomp. I did it enough for Ben. I I did it in my head. I feel my my quota for the year, for real. Um, (laughs) uh, But I've seen the potential in him since his days at, you know, in Gainesville, Florida. Um, I think his serving his forehand, you know, one thing about American men's tennis player, that serving that. They're going to have a serve and they're going to have a forehand. But what makes me a little bit more excited about Ben is his ability to defend. Um, he has, hmm. it is not great, but he has the capability to when he gets into tough positions and he's not winning the rally to defend and find his way back into favorable positioning to, you know, set up a forehand, set up a backhand. Um, We saw it a little bit against Francis Tiafo in that tie break Um, in the quarterfinal round. um, He was also just returning absolutely crazy i had Tiafo never was laying tiafa was laying some of them second and first serves in there though i gotta uh, uh... <laughs> but, like, but it was also like and but even with him laying some of them second serves he was you know placing the serves in a spot that was like oh okay mm-hmm, you know he's mm-hmm. he's placing these balls really well um but i i, I had 
I hadn't thought about his defense, but now that I'm picturing some of his points that he's either won or lost at the U.S. Open, he has raw athleticism mm-hmm. and raw grit to want to get to every ball. Mm-hmm. Like he yes. never, he never, he never gives up on a ball, even if it seems he doesn't do it quite in the Carlos Alcaraz way because mm-hmm. it, they're just built different. But he can get to a lot of balls, and that's not necessarily the first thing you think of with him because you see such a dynamic serve you know, in your face mentality and tenacity, but he does, he's good for sliding through a a shot either in the court, the forecourt running up to a drop shot or laterally. He's really good at that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The lateral movement comes from his background in football. He played football all the way up until I believe high school. Um, Mm -hmm. So he was a two sport athlete as a lot of American athletes are. Um, And should be. Um, so his lateral movement comes from that background and stuff like that. But he he's he's very athletic. He can defend and get the ball. I I like the Ben Shelton hype. Um, I would like to see him be more uh, get a little bit more consistency at the local level events. You know, like mm-hmm. that. But you know, kind of a Coco Golf in a way. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, find, having those ebbs and flows and picking up those wins. Like, okay, I got two wins here. I got two wins. I got three wins there. I made a semi here at this event. Like. You see the pattern of growth and, like, he's learning the ebbs and flows and the types of players that he's going to see on the ATP tour. Like, it's been mentioned many times. This is the first time he went out the country to play tennis. Literally, <laughs> in 2023. This is the first time he has ever been out inside the contingent United States of America <laughs> to go play tennis. Like, he's not going to be perfect. He has to grow. But I think his floor is a lot higher than people want to give. Um, I've been seeing people on the timeline call him American Shapovalov, and that's an insult. I want to clear that up a little bit. Shapovalov has never been able to defend in the way that Ben Shelton has ever been defend. And also... Mm. <laughs> I think it's just the lefty thing. The lefty thing. Maybe that's what it is. It's the lefty thing. Y'all saw a lefty you're like, Shapovalov, just like you see every Spanish person. I, I think it's just the lefty, the lefty electricness in which he plays. Like when he plays, you, most people, I can't speak to everybody, but you are engaged in what he's doing, you know? Because he, 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 he's... He's demonstrative, kind of the same way Shapovalov is, you know? never, in that way. In I've that way. never been interested in a Shapovalov match, unless he's playing oh, a favor. <laughs> unless he's playing a favor by. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive that is your. You, you seem like a nice guy. I, you seem uh, you great gowns, beautiful gowns. Um, but you know. And congratulations on the engagement, Dennis Shapovalov. Uh, yes, congrats. I forgot that even happened, Chad. <laughs> But he was so he was supporting his girlfriend in the first round. I think she lost her first. No, I think she. I think I think her his fiance Miriam Bjorklund. Mm-hmm. Let me fact check this before I give my girl a little too much or too less. B J Bjorklund. B J York. B York. That's kind of that's kind of how you pronounce it. Yeah. No, she won. She lost her first round. Sorry, Elisa. Mer- Elisa Mertens got her in the first round, but Bjorklund did have match points against Mertens. So yes, I do remember that now. Now my memory's jogged. Almost, 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 but no cigar. But hey, man, almost doesn't count. Yeah, uh, and only counts a hand, a horseshoes and hand grenades. So, um, but yeah, I I like the bench out and hype. I don't know which major quite yet. I got to see a little bit more. Um, obviously, hardcore are you know typically mm-hmm. where most Americans land. Um, yeah, that's their bread and butter. Yeah. Bread and butter, but you know, I mean, he has a big serve. I mean, he should. Should do something at Wimbledon, but you know, 
that's why I was hoping that it would kind of catch on fire. And I think I saw signs, but it's still a, even though grass is can be advantageous for his game, mm-hmm. I think uh, he he still has to get his feet acclimated. To yeah, it. it still has to be. It's a movement thing. Um, yeah, he's a lot yeah. further along with the movement side of things, just by his pure athleticism. To where mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, he maybe could get like to a third round, fourth round situation, you know, mm-hmm. um, at uh, Wimbledon. So. One person we didn't talk much about at all before we close, mm-hmm. and surprisingly, now that I think about it, we didn't talk about them. I thought we'd talk about them more. Carlos Alcaraz. He got to the semis in his title defense, but he put in an interesting performance against Medvedev. I wouldn't say it was bad. I wouldn't say it was like, you know, Medvedev didn't beat him to sweep. There were definitely some entertaining, very entertaining points, but he came up short in that match. But when he left the court, I guess because he's done so much, right? Like he's 20 years old and already a two-time Grand Slam champion. I felt like it's just, you know, Everybody has a semifinal loss one of those days, you know? It just kind of felt like, you know, this is just a loss in his career. It doesn't necessarily signal that much that he needs to work on immediately to get back to, or not even get back to, to kind of get the most out of his game. I'm wondering how did you process his loss? I know you probably weren't thrilled, but, you know. We ain't ever going to get somebody to defend their U.S. Open title. <laughs> <laughs> it's been since, what's the what's the stat? It's been since. Roger Federer in 08. In 2008. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ain't ever going to yeah. get somebody to defend their title, man. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I just, you know, it wasn't a bad tournament from Alcaraz, like, at all. Like, <laughs> this was, <laughs> like, this was a good title defense. He just ran into a peaking Medvedev who ran into a... Who likes... Who likes this U.S. Open court? If you yes. think like tw- 2019, Medvedev got to the final. Mm-hmm. 2020, semi. Mm-hmm. 2021, win. Mm-hmm. 2022, lost to uh, Kyrgios in the fourth round, which, I mean, that's an outlier. But Kyrgios was having the best season of his career. And it's also and still now, the second week, so it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like he lost to Diego Zaybach-Vich mm-hmm. of Brazil mm-hmm. in the first round of the French Open. Mm-hmm. Callback. Um <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he he likes he likes those courts he likes the the uh the air of uh antagonisticness a word i just made up uh, that he gets from the new york crowd i think he, he feeds into all of that so i don't i don't really take too much out of medvedev beating him uh in the semifinals or beating alcaraz in semifinals outside of you know, he just got one over him, you know? Yeah. And it still took a very high performance on Medvedev to do it. I mean, he said it himself. He was like, I need to play 11 out of 10, and I paid 12 out of 10. So mm-hmm. um, it, it that's kind of the respect that Alcaraz is kind of garnering at such a young age that, like, mm-hmm. you got to be better than best to even scratch the surface of beating him. Um, mm-hmm. So if I'm Carlos, I mean, you take that moment to be like, yeah, you know, I need to learn how to, you know, handle defending a title. And he has another title to defend, uh, grandson title to defend at Wimbledon. Um, so take that moment to learn how to defend that title um, and go from there and see how he kind of helps him uh, going into Wimbledon next year. Um but yeah, I'm holding I'm holding my head high. You know, it wasn't it was not a it was not a it's not like you sat there and laid goose eggs on the court. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You you tussled with him. You know, it just mm-hmm. it 
like I said, tennis is an any given day sport, and it just was not Alcaraz's day that day. Unless you're, unless you're Djokovic in a Grand Slam final, then you're not really losing too many sets. So, right. oh, that, maybe maybe that wasn't a great way to start to end this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's end on a more positive note. The U.S. Open 2023 is going to be memorable for me. I'm asking that question to you, but mm-hmm. I'll answer I'll answer my own question first. Mm-hmm. I think we might share. Mm-hmm. The, it's going to be memorable to me because of the obvious. Coco Golf won her first Grand Slam title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to remember that for a very, very, very long time. Um, yes, Coco is winning, obviously, is like the first one. But 1A um, is okay. just, you know, that match between Coco and Lara Siegman. Just the, just the whole... Like front, like attitude on the TL. Everyone was cracking jokes. Everyone was like posting their memes. And this is a you brought me to a great question. Like yes, that Laura Sigmund first round match. Uh, me and was my inter- yeah, me, it was entertaining. Yeah. You, you and your what? Me and my friend, my dear friend Gray Robertson. Once again, <laughs> uh, we were going back. We're gonna, and- have to, we're, gonna have, we're gonna have to tag him into the episode notes. <laughs> <laughs> he made an appearance. <laughs> tag him in the episode notes. <laughs> my dear friend Gray Robertson. <laughs> he was. We were the. We were the go to like tag team people of like tennis. He's a big tennis guy. He. We worked. Um, he works for Crimson Tide Sports Network. He's one of the radio guys here. Um, yeah, do I follow him on Twitter? I have to see if I do. He sounds like a, a good a good chat. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He does. Uh, his bread and butter is softball. He's been cover- He's been doing radio for softball for oh, cool. seven cool. years. But big tennis guy. Um, great. He's a great chat. I love him to death. But we were we were going back and forth about Laura and, and like early in the match. <laughs> it, like, Laura hadn't even done too much yet. And he had sent me a message. He goes, like, I think, dot, 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 I hate Laura. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of the night, he did not want anything to do with that woman. He was so mad at yeah. that. And I had never seen Gray mad. Like, he's just an even kill kind of guy. But that night, I was like, ooh, Laura. Stay away from Gray Robinson. <laughs> and none and, and none for Laura Sigmund because she got all the way to the doubles final with Zvonareva mm-hmm. and didn't win it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, some maybe there's, I mean, she won, she lost that match against Coco, but the way she went to the press conference rooms and tried to, and use those tears as if the New York crowd had done something that they'd never do to anybody else, or mm-hmm. that she was just, you know, this uh, completely innocent person, even though there's a documented history of her having issues mm-hmm. with time and a whole bunch of other things on the tennis court and double bounces and all that stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I like, I like how <laughs> we've covered the uh, last match Coco played in the U.S. Open <laughs> and the first. That was my, that was my question. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these, the term I'm about to use, because um, I want your opinion list before we, before we uh, wrap up, a lot of the people that just support black athletes mm-hmm. dialed in, shout out to Ben Shelton, dialed in their opinions of what they felt like went wrong in that uh, first round match with Laura Sigmund and Coco Golf and mm-hmm. Coco going to the chair and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. People on tennis Twitter call the people that put their opinions in but don't actually watch tennis on a consistent basis, they call them locals. How do you, that, that term is confusing to me because when, if I can make, help me flesh this out. If I'm, if I'm calling somebody a local, wouldn't that mean that they're familiar with the surroundings? Yes. I typically how, call, how does that, how does that word work in, in Trollville? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you. Okay. Um, I not calling, not calling you. You're not the head of Trollville. I'm just asking. I, I'm, I'm co-head though. Uh, <laughs> Um, 
I use the term casuals. I think that's a better mm. term because mm. they're just casually watching. They don't watch throughout the season or, you know, outside of Grand Slam, outside of the U.S. Open, really. Um, but vocals is just a lame term for, you know, those uppity fans of tennis that feel as though that they know everything about tennis and because they watch it 52 weeks out of the year and yet y'all still can't spell half these people's names out here in these streets. Mm-hmm. The amount of times I see seen Tom Yalovich's name misspelled last year from per, like from people who follow the tour 52 weeks out of the year, I was like, mm, I never want to see you call anybody a local again. Like, y'all still misspelling that girl's name. And she beat Serena last year. <laughs> I, saw, I saw people missing an F in Coco Golf's last name. And I was like, okay, all right, you're doing this for clicks, it seems, because mm-hmm. that's not her name. That's not her name. That's not, I'm like, so. whatever. But yeah. whether you're a, a casual local, whatever you want to call yourself, like, it, everyone has an opinion. Everyone's going to put mm-hmm. their opinion out on Twitter. And whether it's right or wrong or indifferent, there's a way you kind of mm-hmm. explain the game or somebody. Like, if somebody pops into, you know, shout out to Nat. Um, you know, into this Twitter space, you know. And, hey, 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 shout out to Nat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. shout out to Nat. Um, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. <laughs> but if he, she came into the space and was like, she wanted to generally learn about the game. You t- you tell people about the game. And, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of know who's just trolling and who, like, really is like, I don't know what the game like. Because a lot of people are like, <laughs> well, how is Arena the world number one when Coco just beat her? And a lot of people, if you don't follow the yeah. season, you don't know how well arena has done this year. You just see that mm-hmm. one little snapshot of, you know, her losing to Coco and you're like, that don't make no sense. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was telling people, I was like, Hey, she was the best player in the, it, arguably the best player in the, of the season this year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, had accumulated points throughout the season to where that she is high enough to be considered world number one. Um, but, you know, there there are ways to have conversations with people that are just casual tennis watchers and you know not everybody gonna like tennis to the extent that we like it um mm-hmm. but some of these people chat <laughs> so I, I was like some of you casuals locals whatever and you diehards you y'all need to go touch grass y'all need to go find a hobby y'all need to go find a brain i right, <laughs> i don't know what y'all like son well i have to say whether we consider ourselves casuals, locals, or whether we touch grass or not, I think that we have a healthy, you and I, I'm talking to, to both, or I'm talking to you when I say this, mm-hmm. you have a healthy, um, you have a healthy appreciation for the sport that I've seen since we first started interacting. Mm-hmm. And I always appreciate that because I guess appreciate people of color, black women loving something that I love. And when I a, a black woman started my my journey into this sport. So when I talk to other black women that are comfortable navigating all the different avenues of tennis, it makes me feel good. And that's how this conversation has made me feel. So thank you. I just post memes and go for real. <laughs> I, See, I know, I know in, in, in some ways you take it seriously, but in other ways you're just playing around with the rest of us. <laughs> I, I really, I really just, I'm really just playing around with people, making people mad and like whatnot. Like somebody in my comments came in, like I, like I had made a joke to somebody. I was like, I hope, Carlos Alcaraz beat you in the in the semis or beat your faves in the finals, and they were like, "I have news for you." I was like, "You really thought I was serious? That's crazy!" <laughs> All right, go right. touch grass. Like people be thinking I'm so serious, and half the time I just post my tweet and I go and grab Starbucks. <laughs> right. I- well, 
Speaking speaking of Starbucks, and I know you're you know wrapping up your courses and about to graduate. Uh, let people know where they can follow your journey as the HBIC of Alabama journalism. <laughs> as the uh, as the HBIC of Alabama journalism, you can follow me on all the social media apps: Twitter, Threads, Instagram. Maybe not my Facebook because I'm probably not going friend request uh, answer your friend request. But like all the main ones that I typically use, it's Ashley M Woods A S H L E E M W O O D S. You can keep up with all of the work, all the great work that my staff and I at the CW are doing. I'm really proud of what we're doing this year. Um, and didn't you just drop? Didn't you just drop a portfolio that I saw on the timeline? Yes, I dropped my portfolio. I'm graduating in May, which. Like people think, oh, actually, it's September. Dog, we done cruised by 2023. Last thing I remember, it was May, and I'm heading my way up to Indiana for an internship, and now I'm back here. Oh, right. I, <laughs> it moves quickly. It moves quickly. So you know, open for work, whatever you, whatever may come my way. I'm truly honored and blessed for whatever. But it's on my profile. It's on my um, Twitter page. I might pin it or whatever, but you know. I'm very thankful for every any and all support. You know, go follow the Crimson White at the Crimson White T H E C R I M S O N W H I T E. Um, we're doing great work over there, and I'm super excited what the future holds. Um, yeah, that's where you can- I'm excited for what the future holds for you because I feel like I'm glad we connected, and I'm excited to see what your journey looks like in sports journalism, in journalism, in broadcast and communication as a whole. Because I feel like there's a bright future for your voice, your talent, and all of those good things to you know. Thank you. Impact the world. Thank you so I mean much. It. I mean it. And go follow Gray Robertson at Gray Robertson. <laughs> 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 I don't know what his actual Twitter name is. I can't remember off the top of my head. But if you just search Gray Robertson, it was like his first. His first name is Gray, yes. like G-R-E-Y. G-R-A-Y. G-R-A-Y. I like that. That's unique. You can't really forget it. Like, yes. Hey, my name is Gray. Like, I like that. It's, there's only two of them on Twitter, I think. And oh. you ain't going to miss it. It's like, he, it, you know, he Alabama guy. You gonna t- it, As soon as you look him up, you're going to be like, yeah, that's an Alabama dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're an Alabama fan, then I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry for all the Alabama references, guys. I, I mean, that's, that's what you rep. That's what you rep. When I was in undergrad, I was repping the Southeastern Louisiana Lions, and I don't even like green and gold no more. That's a, th- those were our colors. <laughs> Any, anywho, mm-hmm. thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you guys for listening in the land of podcasts. I know you have your choices uh, and many to choose from from Tennis Podcast, so thanks for putting me and my guest today, Ashley, in your ears. Until next time, Take care, tune into tennis, uh, share your thoughts with me on the timeline, and uh, have fun recapping on a great U.S. Open and the rest of the fall season ahead. We'll be checking back in before you know it. Take care, guys. (laughs) Bye-bye. Podcast Network.